Hello and welcome to the Currency Exchange, now best markets FX podcast, where we break down the major themes and events driving currency market this week and in the weeks ahead. Today, I am joined by none other than our uh, European head of G10FX, Paul Robson, and our US economist, Topeka Dayal. There was one big thing that was driving markets this week, and that was the Fed. Um, the Fed did deliver as expected. Uh, they kept rates on hold, but there was quite an interesting market reaction with the do- dollar marginally higher in the aftermath and risk assets selling off. Uh, Topeka, what did you make of this market reaction? So, as you said, the um, Fed delivered, they kept rates unchanged. However, and the policy statement itself did not bring in too many changes to it. They did um, recognize that the labor market had cooled a little bit, inflation readings were coming back down. But as the Fed's been saying, and as they've been burned a few times before, their job's not done. And we sort of saw that in the dot plot, the updated dot plot that we got at this meeting and the summary of economic projections too. Um, the Fed kept the optionality of going once again this year just in case if inflation readings start reaccelerating, we've seen some renewed growth momentum in Q3, and um, that could leave the door open for another high, maybe this year. Moreover, they were earlier at the June dot uh, June meeting. The dot plot suggested they were looking for total cuts of about 100 basis points next year, suggesting that the economy will cool down. They'll have some hold on inflation and they would be able to begin to cut rates. But at this meeting, the number, the quantum of cuts for next year was reduced to 50 basis points. So the entire meeting, um, the takeaway was more hawkish than we sort of expected. We had expected it to go down from cuts of 100 basis points, about 75 basis points, but it went to 50. So the Fed is cognizant of the fact that they make making progress on both their mandates, but they're not there yet, just now. And I think that Chair Powell also reiterated that through his press conference, they recognize that we have seen some uptick in growth momentum at this point. GDP looks truly, really strong, but can say come down. We're seeing some progress even on the non-housing core services measure that Fed Powell has talked about so many times as being key to bringing down inflation. And we're seeing movements in the right direction, but they said they're just not yet. So it seemed like they're getting to sufficiently restrictive, but they're not done. And um, which is probably why the number of cuts next year, they do see this growth momentum going out. They did raise GDP estimates and the summary of economic projections up substantially for both 23 and a little bit 2024. And, uh, but they're not seeing that um, cooling in the labor market as quickly as perhaps we have our own estimates. We get to about 5% by the end of um, Q2 next year in terms of the unemployment rate. But I can get on with that. But bottom line, I think from the main takeaway from this meeting yesterday was, yes, they were willing to pause or skip this meeting yesterday, um, this week. However, they are leaving the optionality of going again 
this year and staying high for long. That's the message that we've heard from a lot of other Fed officials. And I think Fed Jepap will reiterate that yesterday as well. And I get what does this mean in terms of kind of future monetary policy for the banks? I mean, we are a little divergent from what we saw from the uh, dot plot yesterday. In the sense, they're looking for smaller cuts. They expect growth momentum to sort of continue and inflation to come down gradually. Their own estimates of core PCE inflation, which they target, uh, were revised modestly lower, not enough. So, for instance, for 2023, they went down from 3.9% on a Q4 to Q4 basis to about 3.7%. Our own estimate is that inflation cools further and we get to about a 3.3-3.4% range by the end of this year. And it slows further next year. So our own expectation is that, yes, we think the tightening cycle is over at this point. We can't rule out another hike this year if inflation does pick up, there's uncertainty attached. However, uh, we do expect a mild recession to start later. In fact, we pushed our uh, recession call by about two quarters. We had only expected a recession to start in Q4. Now we expect it to start in Q2, late Q2. And uh, typically, we've seen that with every tightening cycle, it takes about 12 months on average for the cycle for interest rates to peak and the uh, economy to really start slowing and enter a recession. So this call is more aligned with what we've seen in previous cycles and just the sheer amount of tightening that we've seen. We will see uh, some cooling in growth by Q2 and basically from the credit channels, but that has also pushed our rate cut call from Q4 to about May next year at the May Fed meeting or at the June meeting. Also, the fact that they had to go so quickly and in such um, magnitude since last March, uh, just the sheer amount of um, monetary tightening that they've carried out, carried out. I think we think that they will have to go quicker once the rate cut starts. So at this point, we have actually penciled in about the total of 275 basis points in cuts over the course of um, late Q2 to the end of next year. So our own expectation is that they will have to start cutting next year with growth slowing down. Um, we do see some growth um, some moderation in growth coming in Q4 because there are headwinds to consumer spending at this point. We've seen the resumption of student um, debt payments coming back up. We've seen gasoline prices beginning to rise. Yes, while prices have risen, they've just not shown up in the inflation numbers completely yet. But we think it's going to be more of a headwind to spending rather than inflation at this point. And uh, then there are other headwinds uh, coming in on the consumer spending shot. So we do see some moderation happening in growth right now, but we think a technical recession seems more likely in Q2, which would sort of coincide with when the Fed would start considering rate cuts. Our own expectation is that they start cutting in Q2. So that's our own model policy. 
It would later start the Fed credit cycle, but more aggressive when it does arrive. Well, Paul, I have to bring you in now. What does all this mean for the US dollar? Well, there's definitely quite a lot to uh, digest in terms of the the dollar outlook uh, around that uh, Fed meeting and the the, the Fed um, outlook. I, I think for me, the key takeaway is this idea that the uh, or policy uh, in the US uh, stays tighter um, for a little bit longer, or really just tight for a little bit longer. And, and I think that um, that translates quite well into the dollar, that the dollar stays strong for a little bit longer rather than stronger for longer. Um, of course, we might get that extra rate hike from the, the Fed if the inflation data are a little bit stronger and the activity data stays strong uh, for longer and um, that translates into forward rates staying uh, high and the dollar uh, moves a little bit higher. But generally speaking, I think that um, it's a, a strong dollar for a little bit longer. I use the word strong sort of very carefully because I think in terms of long-term valuations, uh, the dollar is expensive. Um, just a little uh, anecdote, I've just come back from uh, Portugal. I was lucky enough to have a family holiday there. Um, and the whole of Portugal seemed to be full of US tourists. So uh, I think that gives you an idea, the purchasing power uh, of the dollar at the moment uh, relative to, to Europe. Um, and the outlook for the dollar over the next six months to a year will, will be all about this transition from this tightening cycle to an easing cycle uh, and the gap between uh, those two phenomena in terms of the, the rate outlook. Um, and it's going to be, I think, supportive of the dollar um, through to the end of the, the year. And we've actually revised down uh, our euro dollar forecast, for example, to reflect that in our sterling dollar uh, forecast. We now expect euro dollar to finish the year around 110. Uh, we think that um, uh, it could have been at 115 without this sort of um, more uh, the sort of tighter US um, monetary uh, policy. Now, there are a couple of caveats uh, to that. Uh, the first one is positioning. Uh, I think the market is long dollars uh, already, and that might make it a little bit harder for the dollar to gain uh, from here, even on stronger data uh, out of the, the US. Um, and the other one is what I term peakism. You know, are we at the point where we're at peak optimism? Uh, around the US uh, economy, and are we at peak pessimism for pretty much everywhere else, most obviously in Europe and in China uh, and Asia, because that's important uh, for uh, the dollar. The dollar's got two drivers, I think. One is relative growth, the sort of global growth relative to the US, and US monetary policy relative to everyone else. And at the moment, we don't really have that growth uh, driver um, for the global economy, and so we're left very much on, on you. But that, that could change if we're um, in the right uh, place. And the, the third factor, I think, as I started at the beginning, uh, strong dollar um, is expensive. Valuations, long-term valuations, uh, probably means that, yes, the dollar uh, stays strong for a little bit longer, but ultimately doesn't get significantly stronger from here. Now, it's interesting when you say about dollars staying resilient, I think, you know, in emerging market currencies, it's very much still monetary policy divergence that's in play. Uh, but that divergence isn't coming anymore from developed markets or from the U.S. You know, as Topeka, you mentioned, you know, it's kind of, you know, the Fed kind of maybe at the peak now and on hold for a longer period of time. 
they're actually more important trigger for EM is local central banks. And um, what we've seen, you know, across the majority of EM banks is that, you know, they almost, you know, are it started easing or, you know, they're on the cusp of easing. And so actually kind of taking away these historically high interest rates and historically kind of lucrative carry, we see as a really an undercutting uh, factor for EM and for EM currencies, especially when some of them are trading at historically very stretched levels. So we really think actually monetary policy divergence remains, you know, the main story, but actually that divergence is now coming through very clearly uh, from emerging market central banks who are either cutting rates or on the cusp of cutting. Um, even with that in mind, I think you would see very big regional divergence. And I know, well, you had a number of European central banks who came out. You know, how do you think they're kind of winning that growth inflation battle at the moment? Yeah, like you say, it was a, a busy day uh, in Europe in terms of uh, central banks. And I, I think, like you've mentioned about uh, differentiation between central banks, you know, the pack is sort of breaking uh, away, if you like, in terms of their monetary policy response. We know that we've had some emerging market central banks uh, cutting. We had a couple of uh, rate hikes uh, in Europe uh, today. And with all these um, central bank meetings, it's always about the guidance. So uh, I thought the most interesting one actually in Europe was the SMB, who markets had uh, expected a 25 basis point hike and kept rates on uh, hold and it was pretty sort of dubbish um, hold as well. They were sort of signaling that they thought they had done um, fighting uh, inflation, and that that's particularly important for currencies and the Swiss franc in particular because they have been running down their reserves to keep the currency strong to make sure that they don't get a lot of imported uh, inflation. So if they think that the fight on inflation is over and that they stop. Um, supporting the Swiss franc, then the Swiss franc could be really quite weak uh, over the coming six months. And I think that will be something definitely to to watch. Uh, the Bank of England um, held rates uh, on hold. We actually thought they were going to raise 25 basis points, but it was 50-50 in terms of uh, market uh, pricing. Uh, we got some weaker inflation numbers earlier in the week, and that saw markets adjust their expectations uh, for the, the Fed. But ultimately, they chose to keep rates on hold, but it was quite a sort of hawkish hold. They were sort of keeping up optionality uh, around the November meeting when they'll have a, a updated projections, economic projections, inflation projections. So it was like a hawkish uh, hold. Um, there, and for the currency, it's really about what you think is more important for sterling. Is it an absolute nominal yield or is it growth? Now, we've had weaker inflation. We've had lower forward interest rates, and we've had a weaker currency this week. But you could also make the argument that we've had uh, weaker inflation, lower forward interest rates. Markets have worried at times, or investors have worried, about the growth outlook uh, in the UK because of that tightening and commercial real estate, um, residential real estate, and UK assets have underperformed. Well, if that all leads to stronger growth, Maybe people will revisit their appetite to hold UK assets. And if they're from outside the UK um, and those flows run hedged, then that can support the currency. Um, and so sterling's always been a mix of the nominal yield differential, the real yield, because inflation has been really quite high, 
and that growth outlook. And um, but what I would say is for the for the last eighteen months, sterling has tracked nominal interest rate. So it does feel for the time being that you get lower inflation, lower forward uh, interest rates and a, a weaker currency. And that's what we're seeing at the moment. So we continue to uh, be underweight um, sterling and we see underperformance gets other currencies. I guess the big takeaway is that inflation globally is slowing, which uh, is kind of such a big discrepancy between you know, when central banks are ready to start easing and the pace that which they're ready to do it. Guys, thank you so much for joining me today. That is about all we have time for. Um, Do remember to like the podcast um, and remember to subscribe so you get the latest episode first. Thanks again.